What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 288 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrick Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter slash X and Facebook for the latest updates. Good to be back with you folks this week, a couple days after Thanksgiving, hopefully. All you folks enjoyed uh, the time with family, enjoyed the food, um, but yeah, you know now it's kind of the, the holiday season, so to speak, so um, good to be back with you folks. Uh, definitely a lot of sports, a lot of New England sports to get to. Um, you know, I think some good, some bad. Um, I think that when we talk about bad, we kind of know which team we're talking about, but you know, I think that we'll get the the bad out of the way first um i just do want to say that um guest friday in a little bit of flux for the next uh, couple weeks i you know i think uh may or may not be kind of a a, uh, a kind of off and on schedule uh, for the next couple weeks we'll still do it when um, it's possible um but yeah so hopefully you know, let you guys know when there will be guest Fridays. Um, probably won't be one this week unless something changes, but obviously we'll let you folks know. Uh, we'll probably have one the week after, I, I'm thinking. Just kind of got to look at some schedule stuff. But the important thing is we're here and we're going to talk um, about the local teams. And I think it kind of is the elephant in the room that I think we need to, you know, start talking about. Uh, today, at least, you know, start with uh, the Patriots, who suffered another uh, disappointing loss. I think their fifth straight loss on the season, uh, for, fourth fourth straight loss, excuse me, um, that has dropped them to two and nine. And um, you know, it's it's gone from bad to worse. I think is is clearly what's happened over the last couple of weeks. And you know, I think would just makes it all the more disappointing is the fact that all these games that the Patriots are playing are close. You know, and it seems like week after week they're finding new ways to lose games in, you know, close manners. And I think that is what is the most frustrating. And I know that there are a lot of other frustrating things that are going on with this team and there might even be more frustrating things but I think the biggest thing for me is you know finding ways to lose games instead of finding ways to win games and I think for so long we're so used to this team finding ways to win and finding you know the right plays and yes granted when they won all the when they were winning all these close games they had a quarterback that could, you know, overcome a lot of issues. Now they don't, you know, and now they, I think, are a team that are relying on, you know, quarterbacks to not turn the ball over when that's kind of all they've done consistently all season, you know, whether it's been Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because I know that this team is, you know, capable of having a couple more wins. You know, we've seen it. We've seen this team be in these close games and find ways to lose. And, you know, continuing to lose all the games that are close is just, it's, it's, it's really frustrating. You know, I think at this point, you know, clearly the wins do not, matter in the sense of, you know, you're not going to be a playoff team. So, you know, the wins don't necessarily matter for that. But I think they matter for, you know, building good habits and feeling good about yourself. You know, feeling positive, feeling that what you're doing is, you know, the, the right thing. Like, what you're doing is the right way to play and the right way to yeah, I mean, that, I think that that's it. Um, and it just, 
week after week, loss after loss, I think it gets, you know, harder and harder to, you know, have the motivation to go out every week and try to give it your all. And I think, I think it's respectable that the Patriots are trying to go out and trying to, you know, remain competitive and not just kind of cut their losses and just give up and be like, okay, you know, Malik Cunningham or Zappi is just going to start the rest of the games and we're just kind of going to give up. I do think that it's respectable if the team is going out and trying to be competitive. Now, obviously, they're going out and trying and they're failing because you have, you know, a quarterback that just kind of refuses to listen to his own, you know, refuses to listen to his own, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't even know where to start. It's like a person that, quarterback that's refusing to listen to his own advice. You know, we hear every week that Mac Jones talks about, you know, avoiding the turnover plays and avoiding the just flat out dumb decisions. And yet he keeps making the same mistakes. And it's just, it's, it's just disappointing to see. I think that in a sense, you can feel bad for him in the sense that you feel bad for a player that's struggling and not performing well. But at the same time, it's kind of the bed that he's made, unfortunately. You know, fair or unfair. If you want to talk about the Patriots being a team that's failed him or failed with the coaches or whatever you want to say about that, at the end of the day, the player's performance is the player's performance, and it's kind of their own fault, to be perfectly honest. And I think, not that people are making excuses, but I do kind of get tired when people talk about, oh, well, you know, he had Matt Patricia last year, and that, you know, screwed him up. He's not making, like, the mistakes that he's making this year are not mistakes that he was making last year. The footwork, you know, the terrible decisions, the terrible throws, that was not happening last year. And I think it's easy to blame. Always oh, had three different coordinators and, you know, bad offensive line, this and that. But at a certain point, the player has to be able to overcome some of those things. And he's not been able to and just looks like a quarterback that is kind of not interested in doing the things, doing things correctly. And it's just... It's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because, you know, you just, you don't, you didn't expect things to get worse. Um, I think that it's just, you came into the season, you thought that things were going to get better for him and they've gotten worse. And it's now gotten to a point that it's kind of, you know, who knows who's, who the quarterback's going to be, you know? And I think that that's, you know, difficult when you have your starter who is playing so poorly and you have a backup who is kind of limited in what he can do and so it's like you know the best quarterback is kind of not clear in terms of giving your chance giving your team a chance to be competitive and trying to win and I think that I'd rather the team do that and try to build good habits and try to you know be competitive in games even if they lose you know even if they're going to lose in the most frustrating ways, you want them to try to win and try to do well. And look, they might try to win the next six games and they might lose all of them. But I just think, I don't like the idea of just throwing the white flag, putting in a bunch of guys, you know, and sure, I think, as I said it last week, maybe they do treat the rest of the season like a preseason, but I just don't like the idea of kind of you know, throwing the white flag and being like, all right, well, whatever, like, there's no point. Because it's like, if you if you play that way, then it is going to rub off on the rest of your team. They are going to start not caring. And it's just, that's very dangerous. Because if you start down that path, it's just like, then it becomes a cycle of, like, failure. That it's like, the players expect that. The players don't expect to win. And it's just like, that's the dangerous part. 
of kind of the tanking conversation. Because then if you were doing that, you're not building good habits. You don't care about winning. You care about a draft pick. And it's like, by the way, a top five pick is not just going to magically fix this team. You know, you look at this team offensively, there are a couple things that need to get cleaned up before this team is, you know, anywhere close to being a competitive football team. You know, Drake May is not just going to save the franchise. You know, top five pick isn't just going to change things overnight. And so it's just like, you know, I think it's hard to know how the next six will go. You know, I think there is a good chance. Do they lose all of them? Do they lose four? Do they lose five? I mean, I just, I hate the idea of, you know, not playing your hardest and not giving it your all because they think that that's just not the way that professional athletes are, are wired. And so, look, the Patriots may lose the rest of their games and they may lose all those games. But I just think, I think the goal should still be to try to win, try to, you know, play with as much pride as you can. Um, but I think there does need to be kind of a definitive answer at quarterback here. And I think that Mac needs to sit. And I think I understand him getting pulled in the Colts game. I understand him getting pulled yesterday. But I think at a certain point, he needs to be benched for a game. You know, he needs to be the backup for the full game. He needs to sit and Zappy needs to play or, you know, Malik Cunningham, you know, if he's ready to play, which I doubt, but, you know, we'll see. But I think that needs to be a clear-cut decision that Bailey Zappi will be the starting quarterback going forward. He plays bad enough. Sure, he gets pulled. But I just think Mac has not proven enough to be your starting quarterback the last two weeks. You know, the same throws. You know, the same, it's the same things. And it's it's just now starting to ring hollow the things that he's saying after these games because it's just like, again, he's not even listening to his own advice. And I think at this point, you look at the offensive line. Honestly, the offensive line's not been that bad recently. You know? Demario Douglas was making plays yesterday. The running game was doing what it was supposed to. And then you have your quarterbacks that, or your quarterback that just can't make a simple decision. And I think it's now time that they, you know, play Zappy. They revert to, or not revert to, I shouldn't say that, but go back to what the team's identity is, which is to run the football. They ran the ball really effectively yesterday, you know, almost five yards a carry. And it's just, I don't understand why that's not the, you know, emphasis right now. The emphasis should be that you are a run first team. And I just think, you know, especially if Zappi is going to be the quarterback going forward, which he should, you know, I think you should be kind of a, a run-based team that you run some screens, you run some play action, you, you know, get Douglas the football as best you can. You get Kayshawn Booty the ball as best you can. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see if Douglas can even play next week. You know, I think it's, you know, disappointing that, you know, I think this season has already been so frustrating, I think from a fan's perspective, watching the Patriots. But it just, it... It's, it's salt in the wound when there are game there are things that are not properly officiated, you know, and it's like already frustrated with the way the season's been going. This team already, you know, I just, I don't think has gotten the benefit of the doubt of really any, any penalty calls this season. I mean, you have seen some clear, you know, no doubt obvious penalties that have been committed against this team and there just is nothing. And it's, it's not that, you know, maybe it's not a Patriots thing. I don't think it is, but it just goes to show you how poor the officiating is in this league. And, you know, Demario Douglas gets hit up high, you know, unnecessary roughness, I think clear as day, but 
you know, we just don't want to call rules, apparently. So it was disappointing to see him go out of the game, you know, fair or unfair the hit. You know, he is a concussion either, or was in concussion protocol either way, so really doesn't matter. But I think, you know, he's been one of your bright spots this season. And I think him playing and him getting receptions, him getting involved is the best thing that you can do offensively going forward. And riding Stevenson, riding Elliott, you know, I think is the best thing that you can do. But I think quarterback position, I think that we've probably seen the end of Mac Jones. I think there was part of me that was thinking, you know, maybe after the bye, he can turn things around. They can really see what he has the last seven games, but not if not if he's doing the same things that he's been doing all season. And I just, I think I've now reached the point that he should not be playing quarterback. The only way that he should be playing quarterback is if Bailey Zappi, you know, plays as poorly as Mac does or, you know, he gets hurt. You know, that's the only way that he should be playing football the rest of the season. And I think, you know, he he should not be with this team next season. You know, I think that the Patriots do, I think, in a sense, need to just cut their losses, trade him, and just start over at the position. And, you know, we'll see how the next six games go. You know, if they lose all six of the next, all six games, they end up with the second pick or even the first pick. It's probably a good chance that they take a quarterback, you know, and I think then you just see what that quarterback can do. But I just will say, there's no guarantee that any quarterback that you pick is going to be the savior or is going to be the next big thing. We all thought Mac was that when the Patriots picked him, you know, coming out of Alabama, winning a championship, being a really good productive player in college. All these other guys that we're thinking about picking, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, even even Jaden Daniels, to a lesser extent, we're all banking on their, you know, college play, that it's going to be the same in the NFL. And as we've seen with Mac Jones, it's no guarantee. So I just think people need to be careful when talking about, you know, oh, tank for the number one pick. What if that number one pick turns out to not be good? And it's like, that's what the danger is with the whole tanking conversation is if you per- if you lose games on purpose and you try to get a top draft pick and that draft pick isn't good, then it's you're right back in the cycle of just kind of failure. And that's kind of what I mean where the tanking stuff is dangerous because then you are not focused on building good habits. You're focused on losing and it's just that's not the right way that you should be operating a football team. Um, so I just, you know, it's, it's frustrating to see this team continue to lose because you know that there are guys on that team that are sick of it and they try their hardest and do their absolute best. And I think, sure, a lot of, this conversation this season has been about the offense and just how disappointing it's been. But I think that you're seeing, you know, you're seeing confirmation that this is a good enough defense. And by the way, this is a defense playing without their two best players. And they've been playing without their two best players, you know, for almost two months now and you've started to see Keon White, Anthony Jennings, you know, Christian Barmore, Jelani Tavai, some of these guys step up and play really good football and it's not perfect, but I think there are building blocks on this defense. You know, Keon White had a really good game yesterday. I thought Jennings had a really good game yesterday before he came out. And I think 
if there's one silver lining to this season, it's figuring out some ballers that you have on your defense. And that's not even including Gonzalez. And I think we know that Gonzalez is a baller the way that he played the first couple weeks. We know what Judon is. And I think seeing some of these younger guys step up has been great. You know, again, it's not been perfect. You know, they're having to trot out J.C. Jackson. And he's, you know, very clearly not the guy he used to be in New England. But I think he's playing a lot of these snaps because of the, you know, injuries. And I think you hope that with the return of Judon, with the return of Gonzalez, this is a team that no matter what happens with the offense next season, that they can return a quality defensive unit that, you know, can keep teams and keep the team in games. And the team's offense, as we've seen, has been horrific. And the defense has still been able to keep them in games. Sure, does it have something to do with some of the opponents recently? I think so. But I think that you've seen a really solid defense. Um, And I think that that's one of the positives you can pull out of this season that doesn't feel like it has any positives. So, you know, I think there's the conversation about this team on the field. And respectfully, that's going to be the only thing that I'm going to talk about in this podcast. You know, I've kind of made my point known about Bill Belichick, and I don't think that no matter what the record is, it doesn't really change my opinion about his future. You know, I will say it. I really hate repeating myself, but I think at the end of the day, it is a mistake to fire him because I don't think it solves anything, as I've said a couple times. I think the only way that you know he does not coach this team is if it is by his own terms. Whether Bill decides to walk away from coaching and retire, or if he wants to coach a different team, whoever that is. And I think that's the only situation that I would be comfortable in terms of the future of the franchise. But I think firing him is a mistake And I don't think it should happen. I don't think it will happen. Despite how much certain people in the media want to see it happen. Because I don't think it's for the betterment of this team. I think if the owner fires the coach, it is to appease people in the media. And I don't think that there's any other reason. That's just my opinion. Um, I just don't really want to keep talking about his future every single game. You know, I just, I don't think the record really has much to do with it, and it shouldn't. Uh, And so I just, I don't think the grass is greener on the other side if you decide to fire him. Because if people want to fire Bill because they don't like him, and now they have a reason to, they feel like they have a reason to because the team's record isn't good. If you want to hire Gerard Mayo, I got news for you, he's a Bill Belichick disciple so it's like it's not really going to be that much of a change and no matter how much wish casting you want to do for hiring you know Mike Vrabel or anyone else I just I just I don't think that that's a pertinent solution I just don't think that it's the appropriate action to take um so that's just kind of all I'm going to say about Bill Belichick. I really am not going to want to talk about much about that the rest of the season because I don't really think anything is going to change, um, you know, unless Kraft decides to fire him, in which case I'll probably be very angry. But, you know, I think all I really want to do is focus on the team and the players, you know, and it's... It's, 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 I gotta admit, it's really hard. It's really hard to watch this team week after week, but it's like, you know what? Being, being a sports fan is not supposed to be easy. It's not, it's not supposed to be 
talking about how great things are all the time. You're going to go through some stretches where your team, you know, is not good. We've had it so good for so long. And it's kind of just like, maybe it's just karma. Maybe that's just what it is. You know, losing games in these fashions. So I'm just going to move on before we ramble too much, spend too much time. Um, so we're going to get to the Celtics uh, coming off. I think a really good, important win for the team um, last night against the Hawks at home. Um, obviously, it was a very busy week for the team last week with a bunch of games. With a bunch of games, you know, starting with the back-to-back in Charlotte, uh, Celtics lose in overtime. Um, and then, obviously, the loss in Orlando on Friday. I don't want to spend too much time on the losses earlier in the week. But I think definitely a disappointing loss um, in Charlotte, but I think not necessarily too much of a surprise for me. You know, second of a back-to-back, end of a road trip. Uh, you know, I think clearly the team was tired. Jason Tatum did as much as he could uh, to get the team to win with 45 points. Uh, team kind of fell apart late, you know, kind of some ill-advised decisions. But, you know, Charlotte's a team that, yes, the record is not very good, but they're a team that's really athletic and play hard. So it was a disappointing loss, but I think it was a good rebound against the Bucks the night before Thanksgiving. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were really good in this game. I thought the Celtics played really good defensively, and I think you know, showed a lot of us that, okay, they can beat a team, they can beat a quality team, and um, I think, look back at this game, you had a couple of bench performers, that, bench performers Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser, that I thought played really, really, really well. Celtics kind of went with a short rotation in that game, but... You know, it's good to see Pritchard, good to see Hauser hitting the threes. You know, I know that this is something that we saw from Sam last season at the around the same time that he was knocking down a lot of shots, but then kind of cooled off. So it'd be kind of interesting to see how the season continues for him. Um, I think the Celtics just were out of it in Orlando. I think game after Thanksgiving with travel, an early start. You were missing Holiday. Porzingis leaves with an injury in the second half. It just was not a game that the Celtics looked super interested in. Um, I do think the Magic, with their size, present issues for the Celtics. Um, and so I think, not terribly surprised, but I think the thing that I was impressed with is their ability to rebound last night. And I thought it was one of the best performances of the season. You know, Tatum was knocking down shots. Al Horford was huge at 15 rebounds in this game. Derek White, 11 assists, I think. With the team's ability, or the team's inability, I would say, to knock down threes in this game, the Celtics, I think, did a really good job relying on their defense in this game. You know, the Hawks come into the game second or third ranked in terms of, like, offensive rating and points per game, and the Celtics hold them to 103. You know, I think played some really good defense. There was really good hustle that you saw from a bunch of guys, and the Celtics did it with some guys that you wouldn't expect. Um, you know, some guys with help off the bench. Uh, Nemias Keita was huge. Seven points, ten rebounds. In 15 minutes, you had Delano Banton, you know, who started, gave you five rebounds, eight points. You know, Hauser, 12 points off the bench with four made threes. Um, but I thought the overall defensive effort and the effort on the boards was huge. Celtics were a plus 15 um, in total rebounds and a plus seven in offensive rebounds. And yes, there were points in the first half where the Hawks kind of were getting every offensive rebound. But I think the Celtics did a great job staying with it defensively. 
you know, did a great job kind of um, kind of giving the Hawks a taste of their own medicine with all the offensive rebounds that they got. You know, Cato was a monster, had six offensive rebounds. Al Horford, three offensive rebounds. And, you know, obviously Al, 15 total rebounds was huge. Tatum with nine rebounds, Jalen with seven. You know, I think it was a good defensive effort, and I think a good effort in a game where the Celtics' kind of number one source for offense, you know, wasn't working. You know, 13 for 47 from three. You know, really was not something that was working for the Celtics, but they stayed with it, you know, took smart shots, were aggressive when it made sense. And I think coming off a loss like Friday's loss, I think made you kind of wonder, does this team have enough depth? And I think without Holiday, without uh, Porzingis, the Celtics really stepped up. Um, I think it's going to be interesting going forward if Porzingis and Holiday are going to be out for a period of time that the Celtics kind of empty their bench, so to speak, you know, see what they can get from some little-used bench guys. So it was good to see Banton start, get 19 minutes last night. You know, Kata get 15 minutes. Hauser played 32 minutes. And so I think, you know, even mentioning those guys, but some guys who didn't play, you know, Brissett, Mihailuk, Stevens. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, going forward, the Celtics look to a couple of those guys to play, you know, little bits, little bursts of energy in the next couple of games um, if the Celtics are going to be shorthanded. You know, I think looking at the next couple of games, you know, you got Chicago tomorrow in the in-season tournament. You got Philadelphia on Friday. Then there's a pretty long break. Uh, but I think giving your bench guys an opportunity is going to be key going forward because, look, you never know if someone gets banged up, someone picks up an injury, has to miss a couple of weeks, and, you know, you have to go to your bench. And I think that ideally, when you look at the postseason, this is a team that plays eight, nine guys, and it's probably not going to be necessary for someone like Keita or Mihailuk or, um, you know, Banton to play major minutes, but I think you want always want your guys to stay ready. So I think, you know, moving forward, it'd be interesting to see if we see more minutes for Kata, if we see more minutes for Banton. Does Brissett get in there? Does Stevens get in there? You know, does Mihailuk get in there? Does someone like Jordan Walsh even get in there? Uh, I think you want to kind of figure out what you can get from some of your bench guys. Um, so with the in-season tournament wrapping up, um, I believe Tuesday all the group play games will wrap up. The Celtics have to beat the Bulls, and then they have to have some type of advantage in the tie in the uh, the tiebreaker, which is point differential. It doesn't look very likely that the Celtics are going to advance. So it seems likely that they'll have two games this week and then an 11-day break with, you know, the quarterfinals and the semifinals of the in-season tournament. So Bulls tomorrow, Sixers on Friday, both games at home. I'm going to take a quick look at the in-season tournament standings. I think that it's... Very confusing, very convoluted for the Celtics to advance. Uh, because remember, they have to, at this point, with the Magic having a head-to-head -head win over the Celtics, the only way the Celtics can advance is if they finish with the best record of all the second-place teams in the Eastern Conference. So kind of depends on some other teams in different groups. May also depend on the Nets, um, that if they lose, the Celtics will have a chance to advance. But 
doesn't seem very likely with the Celtics, but I think the point differential could be huge. So, you know, Tuesday night, if there's an opportunity, the Celtics could be a team that, you know, holds the starters in for a longer period of time so that the point differential can improve so that maybe they can advance. But if they don't advance, you know, it's a huge uh, break between games December 1st and December 12th. So it'd be interesting to see how they kind of navigate that break. You know, I think that losing Holiday and Porzingis obviously isn't good, but I think it can be a positive in two fronts that you can find out more about your end-of-the-bench guys, but then also, if you don't make the in-season tournament, uh, you have a lot of, you know, time that they can rest and get right uh, before the season resumes. So, I think, look at the schedule, two home games this week, four games after the in-season tournament that are all at home, and then the Celtics will go on a West Coast road trip uh, before Christmas and then up until Christmas when the Celtics play the Lakers on Christmas Day, which will be very fun. So uh, Celtics 13-4 and four standing right now tomorrow night in Chicago, or excuse me, tomorrow night at the Garden against Chicago. We'll wrap up group play in the in-season tournament. We'll see if the Celtics advance. Um... You know, you got a Bulls team that's kind of in disarray with trade rumors and such. So you hope the Celtics can bring the uh, correct energy for Tuesday's game and continue to kind of get their game back after losing a couple last week. So I think we're going to move on. We're going to talk some Celtic, or uh, excuse me, some Bruins. And yes, the Bruins have uh, unfortunately fallen on some tough times. And when I say tough times, two losses in a row. <laughs> it just, there's something funny about, you know, and maybe it was something I read in the Globe, but it was like someone wrote something that it was like concerning that the team has lost back-to-back games. And oh, they haven't lost back-to-back games since March of last year. And it's like, is it really that concerning? It's it's just like you had a team coming into Black Friday with a record of 14-1-3. And, and it's almost like, you know, and look, I understand the last two games were not good efforts. They were probably two, two of the Bruins' worst games of the year in terms of effort. And I think it's, yeah, concerning when those habits go from one game to another game, but at the same time, losing two games in a row really isn't like isn't isn't the end of the world, isn't bad for a team that I think has started the season, you know, much better than I think kind of what the talent looks like on the team. That I think the record makes it look like, oh, they're one of the best in the league, when in reality I think some of the underlying numbers aren't great. But I think the Bruins are being held up in the standings by their two elite goaltenders. And yes, you know, I think both not having great games the last two outings against the Rangers Saturday and Detroit on Friday. But I think, as I kind of mentioned with the Celtics, the afternoon starts are hard and they're weird. And the Bruins had two of them in a row. You know, we, I mean, I don't really want to say with travel because I think Boston to New York City really isn't that bad, but I think two afternoon games, two tough opponents that were going to play you hard. You know, Detroit's kind of been a thorn in your side so far this season, and the Rangers, I think, outside of the Bruins, are the most consistent, you know, best team in the Eastern Conference. So kind of wasn't surprising that the Bruins lost both of these games, but I do think that some of the habits you started to see aren't good. And I think, I don't want to sound the alarms and say, oh my God, two straight losses is bad. But if you looked at the way that they've played, you know, it's not something that gives you confidence either. So I think the opportunity for the Bruins this week is good. 
because I think you have two games this week, tonight, and Thursday night against teams that are bad. You know, Columbus and San Jose, the bottom of both of their divisions. So, you know, it's an opportunity for them to get right. Doesn't mean that you should be looking past the opponents, because I think on a nightly basis it's hard to win in the NHL. But, you know, I think one of the positives recently has been Charlie Coyle, and I think is really starting to, you know, settle into a role as a legitimate number two center. He's got 19 points in 20 games, and I think the line with him, Van Riemsdyk, and Frederick has really started to, I think, be their best and most consistent line. You know, Pasternak's going to be Pasternak. He's going to get a lot of points. Marchand's going to be Marchand. He's going to get a lot of points, but I think... An idea of Coyle, Van Riemsdyk, and Frederick as your second line. Definitely not something that a lot of people saw coming into the season. So I've really been pleased with the trio of them. Um, I think, you know, Heinen has started to put in some points recently, which is good to see. But I think my concern with the forwards is trying to get Jake DeBrus going and had a couple goals recently, but... It's just the consistency with him is just not there. And I think there's something to be said for him playing all of last year with Marchand and Bergeron and kind of showing you that maybe playing with those guys, you know, really was elevating his game. And now playing with, you know, Potter and Heinen isn't doing that. But at the same time, you know, as Ty Anderson said, maybe on the radio or I think he was on Toucher and Rich last week and you know, made a comment that, you know, Jake's 27 and at a certain point, you know, he needs to drive the line and he's playing on the line with a 19-year-old and a guy that's been here for a couple of weeks in Heinen. And it's no disrespect to those two guys, but I think that there needs to be an expectation from Jake DeBrusque that he, like, it needs to be able to lift align himself that he can't be relying on other guys and you know I think I'm not trying to say that he's a bad player or anything like that because he does do some little things that really do help the team but I think I just wonder about his long-term future with the team and whether you know signing him to a long-term deal is really the smartest move but you know he's had stretches in his career where he doesn't play great, doesn't put in goals, and then goes crazy and scores eight goals in ten games. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens for the next couple of games with him. But, again, really impressed with Coyle and Van Riemsdyk. You know, it's just, it's so interesting to me that, you know, the Bruins didn't really have an opportunity to add, you know, high-impact players this summer in terms of like the amount of money that they could spend but it's like you look at Van Riemsdyk you look at Heinen you know both guys signed for under two million and they've been really really good Van Riemsdyk's got 15 points in 19 games believe that he had quickly take a look at his quickly take a look at his statistics from last year with the Flyers he had 29 points all of last year. He is halfway. He's more than halfway there in, you know, like a third of the games played. So he's been a great addition for this team. Um, but I do think that offensively it kind of is important for the defense to pepper in some points. I think that, you know, unfortunately we haven't seen Lindholm playing at the high level that he was last year. You know, I think that maybe there's something to be said for he kind of was the legit number one for the team for the first couple weeks of the season as, you know, McAvoy had to recover. But I think the Bruins really need to see him, you know, unlock a little bit more of his potential um, and get more offensively involved, which I think he's been doing the last couple of games. But you know, it's got to be more consistent because McAvoy can't be the only guy that's, 
enough dangerous offensively. So, you know, you hope that maybe it improves with Grizzlick returning. Uh, it was good to see him back in the lineup on Saturday. You know, low Rye gets sent down, which I'm fine with. You know, I think good for him to get 10 games up with the big club, see what he can do, and hopefully goes to Providence and applies what he's learned. And I think just great to see him get into some games. And I think him being in Providence is best for his development. But again, getting games in Boston is the best thing he can do. So I think, you know, you hope that the goalies can get back on track. But I think with this team, with how well they've started, it's it can't be much of a surprise when they lose a couple games because they think the start makes it look like they are a much more elite team than they really are. Um, I'm not trying to say that they're not a good team, but I think the record maybe doesn't necessarily reflect where they truly are. And I think when you play a team like the Rangers and you lose like you did, okay, maybe it tells you that maybe you're not quite on the level. But I think with the games this week against lesser opponents, with, I think, a couple more games that stretch into the month of December against teams that maybe aren't as good, it gives you an opportunity to kind of build your game back because, you know, yes, they got a big game in Toronto on Saturday, but, you know, two games this week beyond the Toronto game, you got Columbus again, you got Buffalo, and you got Arizona. You know, not exactly the cream of the crop of the league. So, again, opportunity for this team to, you know, bounce back from a couple of tough losses. Um, you know, I think that it was interesting. You know, I think the team did respond well to the timeout in the first period in New York because then they responded with two goals. But I think just defensively, game got away from them. And, you know, who can blame them? The Rangers are a really good hockey team. And I think, you know, should be a team that should be in the back of your mind the rest of the season and possibly into the playoffs. You know, if these two teams meet, it's a team that you got to be very wary of because I think they're going to be very, very good. Um, but I think, you know, moving forward with the team, it's just you got to try to build your game back when you go through some of these tough games. So um, I think as we talked last week about the, the Lucic situation, I don't really want to add any more, but um, it isn't, I think, notable that he's entered the player assistance program. And, you know, I think you probably don't expect him to return to the NHL anytime soon. And I don't even think it's a question of whether he returns to the Bruins. I think it's kind of just not going to happen, and so I think it's um, just, a, again, it's just a horrific, terrible situation, and I just will say no one should go to bat for him based on the behavior that we, you know, read about. Um, it just is, it's, it, it, there's not really any words for it, um, but I think yeah, I mean, it's, un it's uncomfortable for me to talk about that. Um, but I think kind of switching gears back to the team, you know, going to go through some rough patches. It's an 82-game season. You know, I think just returning to the losing two games in a row, it's like, hey, they're going to lose games. It's going to happen. 14-3-3 um, three and three after 20 games is... Uh, way better than I ever imagined that this team would be. So, if anything, they've done a great job of, you know, packing points in the early part of the season. So, if they go through some tough stretches, they're still in good shape. Um, but we'll see if they can pick their game back up with, I think, like seven of their next eight against fairly winnable opponents. So, We'll see if they can get back on track. Um, so we're going to touch on some quick Red Sox news. 
um, Andrew Bailey, who you may remember had a quick stint with the Red Sox uh, back in the uh, in the teens, 2012-2013, uh, will become the Red Sox new pitching coach. Bailey and Craig Breslow were teammates for a couple years, first in Oakland and then in Boston. So Bailey, 2009 American League Rookie of the Year, two-time All-Star, was previously with the Giants as their pitching coach, so he's been brought along. And you hope the Red Sox can, you know, get more out of their starting pitchers, but I think it is a step in the right direction to bring in someone that has experience and someone who's worked under the new uh, general manager, worked with the new general manager. Um, so I think, yeah, that's really it for the Red Sox. I'm going to get to some notes from around sports. We'll start with the NFL, the big news this morning. The Panthers have fired Frank Reich after 11 games. Panthers and NFL worst 1 in 10. So they're making the change. Um, just some other notes here. The Eagles tying a record with their fourth comeback win in a row with their win against the Bills yesterday. And the Browns, Dorian Thompson-Robinson has a concussion, and Miles Garrett also left their game yesterday, losing to the Broncos 29-12. So we'll take a look at some scores from this week. Obviously, the uh, Thanksgiving games were played in Detroit, in Dallas, and in Seattle, Packers winning. 29-22 with Jordan Love throwing for three touchdowns with the Packers getting a pretty big win. Um, the Cowboys winning 45-10. Deron Bland is setting an NFL record with his fifth pick six of the season. And then the 49ers use Christian McCaffrey's big first half to a win over the Seahawks. Take a look at some other Games, the Dolphins beating the Jets on Black Friday, 34-13. Tyreek Hill with a touchdown, and Javon Holland with an interception return at the end of the first half, which was one of the wildest plays I've ever seen as the Jets were lining up for a Hail Mary. They throw it deep, it's intercepted. Holland runs it all the way back for a touchdown, so Dolphins get the win. They improve to 8-3. Some games yesterday, the Falcons beating the Saints 24-15. Jesse Bates with a 92-yard pick six. Falcons with two touchdowns from B. John Robinson as they improve to 5-6. and six. Saints fall to 5-6. and six. The Steelers, after firing their offensive coordinator, came back with a win over the Bengals 16-10. Najee Harris with a touchdown run. Steelers improved to 7-4. The Titans get two touchdowns from Derrick Henry yesterday. They beat the Panthers 17-10. Uh, the Colts outlasting the Bucks 27-20. Colts now with the winning record of 6-5. The Jags outlast the Texans 24-21. Jags improve to 8-3. Trevor Lawrence 364 yards in the win. The Broncos beating the Browns 29-12. The Broncos are now over 500 with the win. Big win for the Rams over the Cardinals, 37-14. Four touchdown passes for Matthew Stafford in the win. The Chiefs with a good second half to beat the Raiders, 31-17. They improved to 8-3. The Eagles, again, outlasting the Bills. A big comeback win as Jalen Hurts runs for the winning touchdown. Eagles win 37-34, final score. And then on Sunday night, football Ravens beat the Chargers 20-10.
And then you got Monday Night Football tonight. The Bears and the Vikings from Minnesota. Minnesota looking for their third straight win. So now, it's kind of that time of year that it makes sense to start looking at the playoff picture. Um, the Amer American Football Conference and the AFC. The Ravens with the win last night are now the number one team in the AFC, followed by the Chiefs, the Jags, and the Dolphins, and then the wildcard teams at the moment would be Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Indianapolis. And right behind Indianapolis is Houston, Denver, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. So it could get interesting in the next couple of weeks in the NFC the Eagles with a two-game lead for first place in the NFC. 49ers, Lions, and Falcons, the division winners, and then the wildcard teams, Dallas, Minnesota, and Seattle with Green Bay, the Rams, and the Saints just a game back. So we'll move on to the NBA, give you some notes. The Bucks win last night after coming back from a big deficit, authoring the largest comeback in the NBA this season. As the Bucks come back from 26 points down to beat Damian Lillard's old team, the Trailblazers, the Celtics are expecting that Kristaps Porzingis will be reevaluated in one week. I don't think that either the injury to Porzingis or Holiday is expected to be serious. So we'll take a look at some games tonight on the schedule. Seven o'clock starts Washington and Detroit, Portland and Indiana, and then on NBA TV, the Lakers and the Sixers. At nine o'clock, you have the Pelicans and the Jazz, and then at 10.30 on NBA TV, you have the Nuggets and the Clippers. So we'll take a look at the some NHL notes. Jacob Trubo is fined $5,000 for his high stick in the Bruins game. Uh, Corey Perry will be away from the Blackhawks um, indefinitely as he deals with uh, a personal matter, so hopefully he's okay. Um, the Islanders putting Adam Pellick on long-term injured reserve, and Andre Vasilevsky returns for the Lightning and has a very good season debut. So uh, <laughs> I know I said a lot this season that the Lightning may not be the team that they once were, but getting Vasilevsky back and being in the position that they're in, uh, they might be in pretty good shape. Um, so we'll take a look at some games tonight on the schedule. Bruins and Columbus, obviously a 7 o'clock start there. Florida and Ottawa, Buffalo and the Rangers also starting at 7 o'clock tonight. And then Tampa Bay and Colorado at 9, Vegas and Calgary at 9.30 and Washington in San Jose at 10.30. So I'll give you some baseball notes before we let you folks go. A couple free agent news here. Uh, Kenta Maeda and the Tigers agreeing to a two-year deal starting pitcher. Pitched with, pitched with the Twins the last couple of years, so he will be in Detroit. And the sources are saying that the Cardinals are adding Sonny Gray, Sonny Gray uh, to their rotation, so couple of free agent starters that I think the Red Sox could have been interested in with Nola and Sonny Gray. Both of those guys signed. Mike Schilt has been hired as the new Padres manager. And there's sources saying that Paul DeYoung is likely joining the White Sox and the Diamondbacks making a trade last week for Eugenio Suarez in a deal with the Mariners. So Diamondbacks making a good addition with this trade. So we'll obviously keep you updated the rest of the offseason with 
you know, any Red Sox news, any Otani news. I don't think that Otani's signing with the Red Sox, but I guess you never know. Uh, we'll see, but um, yeah, we'll keep you updated with the off season, and that's probably probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, likely, we'll just be back with you folks next week as we kind of figure out Guest Friday. Um, but again, great talking with you folks, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, catch you next time.